Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. I want to talk about the names of God. On your prayer sheet is an uh, extra piece of paper that has been attached that has just a whole bunch of different scriptures on it uh, that I'm going to reference tonight. And as we look at the names of God, I mean, what's in a name, I guess, is, is uh, the question is given in Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. And, and uh, you know, they, they, they give the answer that a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. You know, we might not think about names too much unless, you know, you're having a baby and then it becomes a bit of an ordeal, uh, you know, trying to, trying to figure out names and what names you want and who, if you're going to name them after someone and how you get it figured out. You know, different people have different ways of, of choosing names for their children. Um, Trish and I had, did some unique things, you know, when we knew we were going to be having, who is now Kyle, uh, you know, I, I kind of had my idea, my favorite name. She kind of had her favorite name. And so we played a game of backgammon for it. And, and so I won. And so he's Kyle. Well, because I, I named the boy, you know, well, when the girl was coming along, I'm like, well, I named the boy. It's only right that you named the girl. And so we have Kyle and Kinsey. So, you know, names, but the, the different monikers, you know, their names are labels. If you, you think about it, in our society, names are labels. And, you know, the name that is given, it might have significance, say, for family. You know, like my first name comes after... I'm named after an uncle, my middle name I'm na- is uh, named after my grandpa, my dad's dad. But, you know, we, we don't give a name, and it has something to do with a person's character. It doesn't have to do with their attributes. One, I mean, you don't know what the baby's attributes are going to be, um, but that's just not what we do. I mean, my name is my name, and what it does is, well, it lets you label me so I'm different from the 8 billion other people that are on uh, this earth. But names in biblical times were significant because they they had a meaning. You know, things were a little bit different back then. Names were given as attributes or characteristics of that person. For example, Jacob was named Jacob because he was a supplanter. Uh, he, He was the deceiver. He, he was the trickster. Um, you know, that was seen when the twins were born and everything that he did, and it played out in uh, his life. Jesus, you know, he would give names. He, he named Simon. He named him Peter, Petros. Named him Cephas would be the Aramaic. He named him Rock. He was going to be a rock, a solid rock, even though he was that, or, or he named him Rock because he was stubborn as all get out too, which... You know, that we, knowing, Peter, knowing Peter's, uh, you know, attributes, that, that probably makes sense too. He named James and John the sons of thunder because, you know, they wanted to rain fire down in this village that wouldn't accept Jesus. And so, you know, he named them sons of thunder because they had a bit of a quick temper. Names say something about a person in the Bible. Well, what about God? Does God have a name? Uh, well, he must have a name in the sense that he reveals himself through names. If you look at Matthew 6, 9, I mean, we are told to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your 
name. Well, what does that mean? Hallowed be your name. I mean, your name is holy. But, we, you know, God's name, he doesn't have a name like we think of names. He doesn't have a name like in our day where it's a label. I mean, God doesn't have a name like Bob or Frank. No, his names, you know, God being this eternal, infinite, wonderful God, he has to accommodate himself to humanity to reveal himself to humanity. I mean, our little finite minds would not be able to grasp one iota of God if he didn't accommodate himself to us, if he didn't use human words and concepts to reveal himself to us. Even though human words might not, as we might say, go far enough and describe them, but, you know, they, they, they do accurately reveal and reflect who God is. He reveals himself in truths that we can grasp. And one way that he did that was by names. Names that he gave himself, names that were given to him by, under the inspiration of uh, the Holy Spirit. And these names revealed his character. These names revealed his attributes. These names revealed his nature of who he is. Uh, um, you know, it's just wonderful and amazing that God chose to reveal himself to human beings. And, you know, by, the, by using names to reveal himself, he shows that he's personal God. He's not some impersonal force like the force in Star Wars or you know, something like that. He's a very personal God. He's not a figment of our imagination like the gods of pantheism and Buddhism. He is a personal, real God, and he uses names to reveal something about himself. And so tonight and next week, I want to look at some of the names that are given of him, given to him or of him uh, in Scripture. So, we know some of his attributes, so we know this personal God and how he has shown himself. His name is holy, hallowed be your name. I mean, that, that means every way that God has revealed himself in his name reveals how holy he is, how separate he is from everyone else. And so we want to find out what these names mean and what they show us about God. Now, I first want to give a general term and then use uh, that term in, in several of the names that God has given. And so one of the words in, given in Hebrew is the word El, E-L, or Elohim, which is a word, name, word you have probably heard before. Sometimes it's also uh, Eloah. But, you know, the letters E-L are in all of those. So that is the Hebrew word that we translate as God. In Greek, it's theos, and in Hebrew, it is El or Elohim. Usually, it's Elohim, and that's the plural form, which might be a little indicator already the, of the Trinity that was in, in, given in, in the Hebrew in the Old Testament. Well, what does that word mean, though? I mean, what, 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 is, what does God mean? I mean, the word God, what, what does that mean? Well, the 
Hebrew term for El means something to the effect of strong one or mighty one. And it might actually be related to the word of being afraid or seeking refuge because of fear. And so that leads us to the concept that God, El, Elohim, he is the one who is an object of fear or reverence. He is the one to be revered because he is mighty. It also might be related to a word meaning to rule or to lead, meaning. So that brings up the concept that he is Lord, he is master, he is the leader. He is the mighty leader who is to be revered, or better known as God. So that's actually the word, though, uh, that is used in general of God. So when, it talk, when the Hebrew Bible, when the Old Testament talks about false gods, I mean, it uses the word El or Elohim, to talk about them as well. So it, it's a little bit more general of a name than, say, Yahweh. Uh, but this word reveals something about God, especially when it's connected to other Hebrew words. Yes, I mean, he is the ultimate mighty one. He is the one who created all the other spiritual beings, you know, everything visible and invisible and everywhere in between. He's the one that created them. He is God. But when he, when he revealed himself as El or Elohim, along with another word with it, he's really becoming personal. He's really revealing something about himself. I mean, the word itself, yeah, describes God as this transcendent being uh, who is divine and above everything created. He is sovereign. He is majestic. But he, he, he connects that name to other words sometimes, and we'll go over some of those. But I, I just want you to look at an example verse where, I mean, it's just where the, the concept of God comes through because it's connected to some other words. In Isaiah 54, 5, Isaiah says, for, for your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. Now that, that verse there has a lot of different names used in there and a lot of different descriptors, but that last one, the God of the whole earth he is called, that is the word El or Elohim. He is the El Elohim of the entire earth. He is the mighty one, the one who is sovereign over the entire earth. Another verse that, you know, uses several different names, but this one in particular, Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? So the God of all flesh, the El, the Elohim, of all flesh, the mighty one over all flesh. All flesh, all of creation, is to give him reverence because he alone is that God. He is sovereign over creation. But what are some of the names that he connects with that word El that reveals even something more about him? I'm not going to be able to go through all of them, but some of the ones that you might be more familiar with, or maybe not, and hopefully this will... Give you, bring you closer to God. But the first one I want to talk about is El Shaddai. S-H-A-D-D-A-I is how we do it in English. But, you know, the term is often translated as God Almighty or Almighty God. Um, the, the word uh, Shaddai, it, it has to do with sufficiency. 
So you might even say God, the all-sufficient one or the self-sufficient one. It possibly also comes from a word meaning overpowering strength and uh, also has, uh, you know, with the concept of sufficiency, I guess, also means one who supplies your sufficiency. And so he's God Almighty. He's the one that can supply. He is the one, all-sufficient one. I mean, he is self-sustaining. He is self-sufficient. God doesn't need anything. But then he is the one who gives us everything that we need. And so it's good to know that, you know, God being self-sufficient, I mean, he is just God. He doesn't need anything from anybody. He, he is just God. He sustains himself. Well, if he's able to do that, guess what? He is able to sustain us. He is all-sufficient for us. He is all-sufficient for everything that we need. He is El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. And so this term is used in a passage like Genesis 17, verses 1 and 2. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. I mean, think about this. I'm the Almighty God. You know, he had been, Abram had been complaining about, you know, not having children, and, you know, he had all that issue with Hagar and Ishmael and, and things like that. But he revealed himself as El Shaddai. I am the Almighty One. I am the sufficient one. I'm the one who sustains. I, I'm the one who's going to give you what you need. And at 100 years old, he had a child. In Exodus 6.3, God says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, as El Shaddai. But by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. They didn't necessarily know him. Even though the name was used, they didn't experience him as Yahweh yet. But he but Abram, Isaac, Jacob, they experience him as El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. He's the one that sustained them. He's the one who was all-powerful enough and sufficient for all of their needs. But another term that is used is El Elyon. E-L-Y-O-N is the way we spell that in, in English. And the name means the Most High God or God Most High. It speaks of his extreme sovereignty and his majesty above all that there is that exists whether it's visible or invisible or whatever he has the ultimate preeminence it shows that he has supremacy over everything he rules and reigns over everything he has honor majesty and glory and power over everything because in him and to him and through him and for him are all things that means there is no one higher than him. To be honest, there's no one that even comes close to him. There's everything else that exists, and then there's God. And there, there's no even close to He is God most high. I mean, there, there's no one above him. There's no one like him. You can't even put someone beside him. You can't put anyone at his level. I mean, that's what part of the Ten Commandments, right? I, I, I mean... You, I, you shall have no other gods, but beside me is really what it says. You shall not put anything on my level. 
Because there is no one. He is El Elyon. He is the Most High God. There is no one higher. There's no one bigger. So we see the term used, say, in Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20. Melchizedek, who was king of Salem, brought out some bread and wine to Abraham after Abraham had a victory. And it says that Melchizedek was the priest of God Most High, El Elyon. And he blessed him, and Melchizedek blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, El Elyon, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be El Elyon, God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And so, you know, Melchizedek is praising him as the Most High God. There is no one on his level. Psalm 78, 35. It says of Israel that they remembered that God was their rock, the Most High God, their Redeemer. El Elyon was the one who redeemed them. The High God, Most High God, is the one that brought them out of Egypt. Well, another term that is used in, in Scripture is El Olam. O-L-A-M is how it's often written in English. And this is often translated as the everlasting God. It could be translated maybe as the God of eternity, the God of the universe, the God of the ancient of days, but it, it emphasizes the fact that God is unchangeable. And he's inexhaustible. God doesn't change. God doesn't run out of energy. I don't know if inexhaustible is even a word, but I, I made it up. He can't, he, there, there's, God cannot be added to God cannot be taken from. God just has always existed as he is. Never once, and he never will, change his character. He will never change his nature. He is who he is. And what that means for us is we don't have to worry about him changing his mind toward us, about the mercies that he shows us in Jesus Christ. It's not like one day, all of a sudden, God says, you know what, this whole Jesus thing ain't working out. Them humans, I, I, I'm sick and tired of them, and so forget it, forget it. I'm just going to give up the whole thing. No, God does not change. He is El Olam. He doesn't change. We never have to worry that God is going to lose his power. We're never going to have to worry that God is going to be defeated or overthrown because nothing can be taken away from him or added to him. There, there is, again, since he is the Most High God and everything else is down below, there, there is no creature or created being that can even come close to him he can never be defeated he is the everlasting god he is el olam he is the same yesterday today and forever it says in genesis 21 33 that abraham planted the tamarisk tree in beersheba and called there on the name of the lord the everlasting god the el olam ha el olam he called on him as the one who doesn't change. And that also means that he won't change on his promises either. He promised Abram, Abraham, you know, eventually Abraham, that Abraham would have offspring. And he was given offspring. He had Isaac. Another term that is used is El Roy. It's probably pronounced differently than Roy, like the name, like Roy, something like that, but it's spelled like Roy. And that name means the God who sees all. He's Elroy. He's the God who sees all. There is nothing hidden from his sight. There is nowhere anyone can hide 
from him. But that also means that there is no hardship, there is no tribulation, there is no trouble, there is no trauma that will slip by his notice. Those times that you think he does not see you, he is El Roy. He is the one who sees all. He sees everything. You know, we're familiar with you know, Hagar getting kicked out from, from Abraham and Sarah. Sarah kicked her out. And in Genesis 16, 13, it says, She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. You are El Roy. For she said, Truly, I have seen him who looks after me. And so it's not just a matter of seeing, but, I mean, it's the one of looking after. It's the one of, yeah, I see what you're going through. And I will take care of it in my time, in my wisdom, in my way, and things like that. He is El Roy. Another term that is name of God is El Gibor. G-I-B-H-O-R is how we spell it in English. And it's once it's given in uh, Isaiah's prophecy, it's actually given about the Messiah. And it's, about, it's a description that Isaiah gives to the Messiah. But we know that what's true of one person of the Trinity is true of all the persons of the Trinity. And so we know the term as the mighty God. It refers to God as a warrior who's mighty in battle. That means our God fights for us. He fights against the powers of darkness and wickedness in his way in his time. And there is nothing and no one that can prevail against him. He is the mighty God. As Isaiah 9, 6, as it's describing the child who is born, who is God in human flesh, we know this is true of the Godhead, the nature of God. Unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, El Gabor. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, I could go on and on with just the L names, but I won't. There's two other names I want to get to tonight real quickly. But let me just name some of the other ones uh, that, uh, real quickly that are there. In Deuteronomy 7.9, he is called El Ha-Ne'eman. He is the faithful God. In Deuteronomy 10, 17, he is El HaGadol. He is the great God. In Isaiah 5, 16, he is El HaKadosh, the holy God. In Psalm 136, 26, he is El HaShemayim, the God of the heavens. In 1 Samuel 2, 3, he is El Deot, the God of knowledge. In Psalm 31, 6, he is El Emit, the God of truth. In Isaiah 12, 2, he is El Yeshuati, the God of my salvation. In Malachi 2, 10, he is El Echad, the one God. And on and on it could go. God has revealed himself by his name. Through the name El, he is the mighty one. He is the mighty one who sees. He is the mighty one who provides. He is a great mighty God. But another name that he reveals himself by, or he, he calls himself by, is Adonai, 
We're familiar with that name. It has a Ugaritic root. It means Lord. In, in general usage, it, 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 I mean, it refers to superior. So it, it stresses God's relationship with man and the fact that God is the master of man. He is Lord. Now, in most English translations, I need to make this, uh, this distinction. So if in your English translation in the Old Testament you see the word Lord and it's in all capital letters, that is actually the covenant name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah, whichever way you want to pronounce it. But when you see the word Lord and it has the capital L, but then it has the small O-R-D after that, that is the word Adonai. It actually is Adon, but then when, if it's my God, it is Adonai. He is my God. And it means he's my sovereign, he's my master, he is my Lord. I mean, that's the, as the term is used. And so some of the places that, you know, there, there's kind of that distinction between the two words. Like, for example, in Genesis 15, 2, Abram said, O Lord God. Now, if you notice in, well, at least, you know, in the, I have it in the ESV. Lord is the capital L, small O-R-D, and so that's Adonai. But then all of a sudden you see the word God, and uh, it's all capital letters. Well, it's because Adonai and Yahweh were put together there. So it would sound kind of strange in English if you go, the Lord, Lord. Uh, now, there's some translations that will actually translate the word Yahweh, like the new Legacy Standard Bible. So it says, O Lord Yahweh, or my Lord Yahweh. What will you give me for I continue childless? and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And then in Exodus 4.10, But Moses said to the Lord, Moses said to Yahweh, O my Lord, O Adonai, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since. You have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Psalm 8.1, O Lord, O Yahweh, our Lord, Adonai, O Yahweh Adonai, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. But one final name that I want to touch upon tonight is the name Abba. We know that it means the word father, and it is a familiar term of father. Although I, I know a lot of preachers say this, I would not go so far as to say, well, it means daddy. I don't know if I would go that far, but it is a more warm, familiar ring to it than the other term for father. It is a term of relationship, showing how God relates to his people with love and compassion. And so we see this in the way that he dealt with his people Israel. In Isaiah 64, 8 and 9, it says, But now, O Yahweh, you are our Abba, you are our father. We are the clay. And you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Yahweh, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. So uh, God related to the nation of Israel as a father. We see this in Jeremiah 31.9. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am Abba to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. So in, in these Old Testament verses, you know, God revealed himself as the father of the nation of Israel. 
But now through Jesus Christ, God reveals himself as that same Father. But now to the ones, the individuals, who are in Christ. And so Paul writes for us in Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Because we are in Christ, and God the Father is the Abba of God the Son, and now we are in the Son, he too is our Abba. So what is in a name? Well, apparently a whole lot is in a name. Through these names, God has revealed himself to us. He has shown who he is. He has shown his character. It is a reminder about how he relates to us. It's a reminder about how he loves us. And so if you ever need some encouragement, reflect on the names of your God, the way that he has revealed himself to us, because they tell us so much about his work and his ways. And then pray knowing that these names are the truths of who it is you are praying to. And my prayer is that the names of the Lord will bring you in a closer relationship to him, and you will be, gain a greater understanding of who he is, and you will grow to love him more and more every day, and you will find him to be sweeter and sweeter every day. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.